This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. If we can return to our seats, please, that'd be wonderful. And as you're doing so, uh, if you could open your Bible to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Before I read this psalm, let me, uh, let me just share where we are, because it's, uh, this, we're at a very intentional place in our uh, series. We're in a series called The Gathering, and the series is about what we're doing right now, uh, and ga- that is gathering together uh, in worship. So it's immensely practical, because the things we're talking about is what's happening, uh, as I've said in the recent weeks, it's what's happening right now. Uh, it's, it's the immediate. Uh, and so here's what, uh, here's where we've gone. If you could think of, uh, if you learned how to write a five par- a five paragraph essay uh, in middle school or high school or whenever that your first paragraph is like a funnel, it comes down and then you come down to your topic sentence or whatever it's called. I don't remember that far, but, uh, I know it just goes like this. I know the shape. It's like an upside down funnel. So we started the, really broadly. All of life is worship. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that all of our life is to be lived in response to God's mercy as a living sacrifice. That is, because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, all of our life now is a response of saying, Lord, I'm at your disposal. So all of life is worship. The next thing, we began to narrow it towards a gathering, and we said there is a day set aside in God's uh, sort of rhythm of life for the purpose of rest and worship. So we looked at the Lord's Day, and we looked at passages that talk about six days we work, and a, and a day is set aside for rest and for God's people to gather in worship. So we haven't talked about what we're doing in here yet. We just said all of life is worship. Then we narrowed it and said in, in the Lord's way of creation and by redemption, uh, we are are to set aside time in our lives, time in our week for rest and for worship. And so today, the next step I want to go, and I think next week we'll start talking about, well, we are today talking about things that are happening in this meeting, in the gathering. But today I want to talk about the scripture and our gathering or the scripture and worship. What is the place of the Bible in worship? Now we may think, well, we, we preach it. That's what's happening right now. Uh, that's true, but the Bible is is a greater part of our worship gathering than what's happening right this second. I'm about to read it. Uh, it's, it's more than that. The Bible governs what we do in our worship, as we're going to see tonight. We didn't just come up, or we're, we shouldn't just come up, with ways that we think would be good ideas, innovative practices, creative exercises to worship the Lord. No, we look at the scripture and we say, what does the scripture have to say about worship? So the scripture sets our fencing, so to speak, our boundaries of what we are to do when we gather, what pleases the Lord? What has the Lord said that pleases him? So scripture governs our worship. And secondly, scripture fills our worship. So the the worship gathering is to be informed and governed by the Bible, but then it is to be full of the Bible, not just in our preaching time. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit uh, because the scripture is uh, central in our gathering. Now, uh, let me talk a little bit about what worship is. We've talked about that some, but we really can't even talk about worship, uh, gathered worship, worship amongst God's people without talking about the scripture. 
One author defines worship this way. I think it's a good definition. Worship is man's response to God's revelation. Worship is man's response, people's response. Um, It is our response to God's revelation. So when we gather, we are responding to something uh, that God has revealed to us about himself. His revelation is his word. New Testament scholar Ralph Martin said this, the distinctive genius of corporate worship, that's what's happening right now, the distinctive genius of corporate worship is the two-beat rhythm of revelation and response. That is our rhythm. Revelation, God reveals himself, we respond. God reveals himself, we respond. It's a two-beat revelation. The downbeat uh, is God reveals himself. The upbeat, or maybe I said that wrong, I'm not sure. But uh, the first beat is God's uh, revealing himself. The second beat is our response uh, to God himself and his revelation. So worship is our response to God's revelation, or we could say the rhythm of worship is revelation and response. And Psalm 19 uh, plays this, shows this to us in a beautiful way. It shows us both revelation and response. So I'm going to read verse 7 uh, through 14. Verses 1 through 6 have to do with God's revelation of himself in creation. Um, But today, I want to focus on God's revelation of himself uh, through uh, his word, the scripture, and then the response. So I'm going to read verses 7 through 14 of Psalm 19, and then I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll jump right in. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word which reveals yourself to us. And as we meditate on these verses this afternoon, I pray that you would speak to us uh, from your word. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us and that we would respond. I pray that you would show us Christ and his glory, and we would respond with hearts filled with affection and love towards you. God, we pray that we would be ready and that we would be gripped by grace so that this two-beat rhythm of worship would be ours, revelation and then response, revelation and then response. So reveal yourself to us now, and may we respond with glad hearts, willing hearts, 
and obedient hearts. And for that, we need your grace and your power. So, Spirit of God, give us your power to respond to your word, to listen and to respond, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in this passage, uh, it is a meditation, and that's kind of what I'm going to do. I'm just going to walk through it like a meditation today. It's a meditation on uh, the nature of the Scripture and then David's response to it. This is written by David. So there's revelation, actually speaking of God's revelation. What is his revelation like? And then there is a response to his revelation. So I'm going to talk about God's revelation and then our response because that is the two-beat rhythm of worship, revelation and response. So here we go. Verse 7, what does he tell us about his revelation? Well, the first thing is, and when I use the word revelation, I'm talking about the Bible, all of the Bible when I use that word, uh, talking about the Scripture. So verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now the word law, we oftentimes simply think of commands when we hear that, but the word actually means instruction. And he's using it here with a lot of other terms. There's six terms he uses here for the Bible. He uses the law, the testimony, precepts, commandments. Uh, So there's various terms. And the law is, is, it means instruction. It is, uh, it's the same thing here as saying the word of God or the Bible. God's word is perfect. That's the first thing he says. It is perfect. So immediately, when he first starts talking about the Scripture, we are immediately uh, in a category beyond ourselves. We're immediately in a category that is transcendent, that is above us or beyond us. God's Word is perfect. It is perfect. Every detail of it is perfect. There is an immeasurable gap. You cannot measure the gap between God's Word and the thoughts of people the ideas of people, the truths of people. There is this gap that you cannot measure because no one or no thing is perfect but God. His word is blameless. It is without fault. It is without error. There is not the slightest defect in God's word. There's nothing about it that is not 100% truthful. It is, it is not only flawless in every detail, immaculate in every detail, it is also complete. It is perfect in the sense of being without error. It is perfect in the sense of being complete. It is flawless. It is all that we need to know God. His word supplies all that we need. It, his law is perfect. So when we gather and we hear God's word read, we hear God's word, we sing God's word, we, we pray according to God's word. When we hear God's word, we are hearing a perfect description of God. We are hearing a perfect evaluation of ourselves. We are hearing a perfect description of our need for a Savior and a perfect picture of our Savior, a perfect description of Christ who died for us. When we are exposed to Scripture, when we gather, we need to realize that something different is occurring. That we are not hearing a man's ideas. Now, I explain it. Once it's starting to be explained, then uh, we need to evaluate. You need to evaluate what I teach or what anybody teaches. You do not evaluate the Scripture. You are evaluated by the Scripture. The Scripture evaluates you. 
And so when you come and hear the scripture, we want to listen with an attentiveness and a readiness because we are hearing perfection, perfection communicated to us. Something absolutely different is occurring. Some traditions, and I like this, maybe I need to start doing this. Some traditions, when someone reads the Bible or the preacher reads the Bible, at the end of it, they'll say something like various things are said, but sometimes something like saying, this is the word of the Lord or something like that. Different, different phrases, but there's something good about that because when it's read and the guy says, this is the word of the Lord. Now we're transitioning to my preaching, which is biblical, but not Bible. It's not perfect. It's not flawless in every detail. No one is. But the scripture absolutely is. So what's the effect of being exposed to the perfect word of God? Look what it says, verse 7. Reviving the soul. He says that the word of God, the scripture, is intended to renew your heart. To restore you. To stir you up into renewal. Second Timothy 3 says that God's word, the scripture, is breathed out by God. And so when we hear his word, we are hearing the very breath of God. We're hearing the Holy Spirit speak. And his purpose in speaking to us is to revive us. This is the means of revival. The means of revival is encountering, hearing, receiving the scripture, the word of God, and believing it and responding to it. It revives our soul. God's prescribed means to renew us is the scripture. God has a way to renew us as a church. He's got a plan. He's got a prescription. He's got a method. And it is his word, which is perfect, and it revives the heart. God's perfect revelation is intended to revive our souls. Next, he says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. The testimony is God's account of himself. The testimony of the Lord. God's account of himself. God's story of himself. The Bible is sure. Sure means it's trustworthy. You could step on it and and it will bear your weight. It is solid. It is reliable. The scripture is sure. Listen, the ideas and the fads and the novelties of man, they don't supply any any secure place to stand. Give, give us the word every time because the word is enduring. The word is sure. It is reliable. It is faithful. It will accomplish what God wants to accomplish. The, 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 again, the ideas people can come, we can come up with all kinds of ideas, but God's ideas are the ones that are sure. God's word directs us and protects us by providing a trustworthy way. And here's what's really encouraging about this. Is it says that the, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the word of God gives wisdom to simple people. The word simple here means, it, it literally refers to a young person. Someone who's untrained. A novice. But its application is broader than just young people. I love what one commentator said about this verse. He said, the simple are those who otherwise wouldn't have a clue as to the right way to take in life. The simple are those who don't have a clue without revelation. Welcome to a gathering of the simple. 
everyone in here is simple because none of us would figure out, none of us would drift into God-glorifying worship. None of us would drift into sure things. None of us would drift into perfection. It is the word of God only that provides that. It makes the simple wise. That describes us all. We all need this sure testimony. Uh, When I, before here, I I served as a pastor and before I was here in San Diego. And uh, in our offices, someone had uh, given us a print of a painting. uh, And it was very telling, the print uh, that we had on the wall. And it was kind of a, um, it was like a, looked like a watercolor uh, it was a little bit, uh, you know, it, was, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't like a photograph, landscape kind of a picture, but it was a little more impressionistic. But it was a, it was a pond, and in the pond was like a morning fog. And, and on the pond were these, I thought they kind of looked like ducks, but some kind of birds on the pond. And then the, the title of the painting was written at the bottom. It was Loons in the Mist. <laughs> Loons in the Mist. I just thought it was so appropriate for our pastoral team and uh, <laughs> just so appropriate that when you walk, it hung right by the receptionist. So when you walked in to have a meeting, maybe a counseling meeting, I'd like to meet with, well, one of the loons in the mist. <laughs> this was like our portrait of who we are. And I thought, I, I feel that way. So I'm like, I'm in a fog. I'm just simple. A loon in the mist. I shared that illustration one time and someone came up to me afterward and said, well, did you know that loons are actually very intelligent birds? And I said, prove my point exactly. See, I'm a loon. I had no idea. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. I had no idea, uh, but you were sure to tell me. So anyway, loons in the mist. We are simple. Without the word of God, our, uh, we are simple. We need God's word to give us wisdom. And we need God's word to give us wisdom with regard to worship and our gathering. What do we do when we gather? What do we celebrate? What do we sing? What do we do together? What do we talk about? What do we pray about? What do we have a testimony of like we did this morning? We, we need God to give us that kind of wisdom. We want the scripture. I, I, I was talking to a pastor this week. I didn't know him. Um, and he was from a different tradition uh, a different Christian tradition uh, than we are. And uh, so he was asking me, he said, well, tell me a little bit about your church. So I told him a little bit about it. And he said, well, if I came into a worship service, what would be distinctive about your worship service? And I know a little bit about his worship. I know something about his denomination. So I thought, well, maybe how would I compare and contrast? But I, I just didn't even know how to answer his question, ultimately. What would be distinctive? Because what I was thinking about is, I really don't want to be, I'm not trying to be distinctive. I'm not trying to stand out. I'm trying to fit in right here. I'm trying to fit in with this. I'm not trying to create something that causes our worship gathering to stand out from anyone else's worship gathering. I'm hoping that our worship gathering reflects the scripture. I mean, I think I ended up saying something like, well, our style is kind of contemporary uh, and we preach God's word verse by verse expositionally. You could walk through the scripture. Maybe that's distinct. I don't know. I don't know what other churches. I don't know if that's distinctive. I hope not, but I don't know that. So I, I, we're just, we're trying. I'm thinking we are simple and we need the scripture and its perfection and in its testimony that says of God to make us wise. So as we gather, we need the wisdom of God. What does he say next? God's word is right, 
rejoicing the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right. A precepts are the directions of the Lord or the orders of the Lord. They refer again to the Bible. They are right. And right means morally right. They are straight and pure and morally right. They show us how to live, how God wants us to live, how God wants us to worship. So we have to look outside of ourselves uh, to know what God's direction is. He, he, he provides it for us in the scripture. So the directions of the Lord are right. They are pure. They are true. They are morally upright. And the result is they rejoice the heart, rejoicing the heart. So the fruit of the scripture is to bring joy to God's people. When we encounter the scripture, we are to receive joy. The scripture points us to God. They're the testimony of God, the directions of the Lord. They point us to the Lord. They reveal who he is. His commands reveal his character. They reveal who we are. They reveal our need because we are not who he is. And once we see our need, they point us to Christ. The scriptures always lead us to Christ. The precepts or the directions of the Lord will ultimately lead us to Christ because we don't uphold the directions of the Lord in any kind of perfect way. And so we see our need for a savior. It points us to the work of Christ. The precepts of the Lord lead us to Christ. They show us the character of God. They lead us to Christ. And the result is that it produces joy in the soul. What brings joy to a people in worship? Well, it's, it's the scripture. It's supposed to be the scripture that brings us joy. It's not the aesthetics of themselves. It's not the environment that brings joy. A building or a facility can't create true joy. Lighting cannot create true joy. Instrumentation cannot create true joy. Singing a certain song versus another certain song, if both of them are true, is not going to create joy. Uh, The personality of the leader is not going to create joy. It is the scripture that rejoices the heart. I thought it was an interesting study this morning because we had a tight time frame. We got in here late, which means there was another church in here before us. We couldn't set up. So we had a stripped down instrumentation. There was no percussion today. There'd be some to say you've got to have percussion to have joy. I don't get no joy unless somebody's playing the drums, okay, uh, or whatever. But we couldn't have, anyway, long story. But we just had acoustic instruments, instruments but... You know, maybe it was just me, but I think as we were singing those last two songs about the wondrous, in particular, the wondrous mystery of what Christ has done and in Christ alone, I detected some joy in the room that was based on the truth that we were singing that Jesus is resurrected. And so now he holds me. No scheme of hell. No, no, I'm sorry. uh, No, what of hell scheme of man? No power of hell. No scheme of man. Uh, that as we're singing about the victory of Christ, now those weren't Bible verses, but it was biblical truth. As we were singing those things, there was a joy that resonated in hearts. Now, you may be able to create a sense of party by doing some of the things, but if that is what drives it, then that is short-lived. That'll last about about 10 minutes after you leave the building at, at best. But if the party, I'm not opposed to instrumentation and drums or any of the other stuff I said, a facility or whatever. I'm not opposed to any of that stuff. But that's not the foundation. The foundation is the word of God, which does something in our heart, does something in our soul as it's believed. It rejoices the heart. 
It is truth that rejoices the heart. And then we express that rejoicing through all manner of biblical expressions, like clapping, like singing, like playing instruments, um, the countenance of our face. There's all kinds of biblical expressions of the rejoiced heart, but it doesn't start with that. It's not clap till you get happy now. Who's happy? No, it's not that. It is the truth of God that makes me want to clap in celebration of who he is and what he's done. So it's the scripture that drives joy in the worship service, not the personality, the music, the volume, the acoustics, the nothing. Those are, those are respond, that, that, that's secondary, primary. Those are means of expression, but the, the truth of joy, the real joy comes in the truth. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Number four, it says next, the, the, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Commandment, his word is authoritative. It's, it's non-negotiable authority. When we gather and hear the word of God, um, it's not like, like well, I, I kind of believe some of that, and some of that really strikes me, and some of that I could kind of take or leave some of that scripture. No, the word of God is commandment. We gather as a people under the authority of our loving father. We gather under our king, and we hear his commandment to us. The commandment of the Lord is Pure, And so we want to listen to the command of the Lord with the utmost care. It's pure. The word pure means clear, lucid. It's that kind of pure, lucid or clear. So God's word is a clear revelation. There's clarity to God's word. And, and when we receive it, it, it in its purity, in its clarity, we could even say in its radiance, it's, it's, um, in its radiance, it enlightens the eyes. It's a metaphor as if my eyes are closed and I can't see, and the scripture comes and it opens my eyes and I can see something I couldn't see before. The scripture opens eyes. It shows us what we wouldn't see on our own. It reveals our blindness because it opens our eyes to see and grasp truth. I mean, have you ever had that experience where you come into a worship service and you're thinking, who knows what, but all of a sudden something's sung, Something is prayed, something is read, something is shared spontaneously at the mic down here, something is preached, something happens, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I wasn't thinking about that. I came in here all, all week, I struggled with fear, and I came in here today and I heard something that made me think, God is worthy of my trust, he's got me. And, and all of a sudden, I'm not fearful anymore. I felt condemned all week. I just had this sense of gnawing like God's distant from me. But when we received communion, and I was reminded of the body and blood of Christ and my acceptance by the Father, as I heard that scripture read, I realized that God has adopted me and loves me. It's like the light. I see it. I hadn't seen it. Maybe it's a fresh reminder of something I already knew, but I'm seeing something new. I think if we could see a worship service, if we were to take this metaphor out, the enlightening of the eyes, I think if we could see it from God's perspective, I think you'd see light bulbs going off over people's heads at various points in the, in the sermon. It just boom, various points in the singing, boom, oh, that, yes, that resonates. Yes, I needed that. Oh, I see that. Oh, I'm reminded of that. Oh, a burden is relieved. Oh, my heart is encouraged. Oh, I'm convicted. 
I'm convicted of something and I'm responding to the grace of God, but my eyes are enlightened. That's what the scripture does. And David's celebrating that, the light's coming on. Number five, God's word is clean. He says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now, the fear of the Lord here may be what it normally is, awe of God, reverential awe of God, or it may actually be a a name for scripture. He may be calling the fear of the Lord the scripture here because all of the other five terms refer to the scripture. So if we were to just look at the structure of this and say, well, this is parallel to the others, he probably means the Bible. Uh, He could be talking about the Bible, or he could be talking about our response to the Bible. I'm not sure at the end of the day it really matters. I think whether he's talking about the Scripture or our response to the Scripture, the point is the same, that when we encounter the Word of God, the fear of the the Lord affects us. We're to be awestruck by the majesty of God. God's nature and God's works, the person of Jesus Christ, The bloody cross and the empty tomb are stunning realities. The fact that I have been elected by God, chosen by him, the fact that he has opened my heart to him, the fact that he has adopted me and welcomed me into his family because of his mercy and because of his grace, the fact that I was running away from him as fast as I could and he grabbed me and brought me into his family, these are stunning realities. And this is what the scripture teaches, that we should be awestruck and we should, we should have a fear of the Lord, not the fear that God's going to get me as a Christian, but the fear of the Lord that says, this God is holy. And I want to respond to his holiness through confession and repentance. And I want to ask for the power to be changed, to be more like this holy God, conformed to the image of Christ. Listen, when a humble heart, when a hungry heart encounters the word of God, there will be the fear of the Lord. There will be an awe towards God. And if I can hear God's word read, or I can read God's word, and I never have that experience, then lovingly, what you need to realize is that communicates way more about your heart than it does the word. Because the word of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, it, it is, God's truth is to, to startle us into the reality of who he is. Whenever anybody encounters God in the Bible, it's never flippant. Whenever they really encounter God, it's never flippant. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees God high and lifted up, and he said, I was, I was undone. It literally means I was coming apart at the seams when I saw God. Or in Revelation 1, when John sees Jesus, he said, I fell over like a dead man. Seeing the glory of Christ didn't take away my breath, it killed me. Now, he didn't really die, but that's what he felt like. Fell over like a dead man. And so when we encounter the truth of God, uh, there is a, there's a, it's a wake-up call. But because we are in Christ, it is also an invitation to a throne of grace. The holiness of God from the word of God, the fear of God, wakes us up, but it causes us to come to God, not run from him, not hide from him. It causes us to come to him at a throne of grace and encounter him to receive forgiveness in Christ afresh. Our worship is to be joyful, it's to be celebratory for sure, but it, it, always has a, it should always have a tone of amazement and awe at the king. Number six, and finally, God's word is true and righteous altogether. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
here he's speaking about rules. It may actually be there's a footnote in the ESV that says just decrees. It, it could be his rulings, his rulings, his decrees. Um, that's probably the sense of what he means by rules here. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. The judgments of God are always true. The judgments of God are always true. He is righteous altogether. In a world where everyone has an opinion and everyone does what's right in his own eyes, there is one who is completely right and completely true and whose judgments are faithful. They are true. We are in a climate now, obviously I mentioned the elections earlier, we are in a climate where every pundit has an opinion Every commentator has opinion. Each of us have opinions. But there's a singular opinion, a single opinion that, that matters, and it's the true opinion. It is God's, and we must hear from him. His rulings, his judgments, they are true and righteous all together. So David delights in the word. What does he say? He says it's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true, it's righteous altogether. And what does the word do? Well, in this passage, he says, it revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes, and it endures forever. That's what revelation does. And so David responds. That's the revelation. Here's the response. David responds with worship. Look what he says. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey on the drippings of the honeycomb. What's he saying? He's moving from language that describes the word of God. He's like giving these statements, these propositional truths. And now he shifts from stating propositional truths to the language of worship, the language of desire. He says, when I encounter the word of God, when I hear, when I read, when I encounter the word of God, it is more valuable to me than gold. And it is sweeter than the honeycomb. He is saying the most valuable thing imaginable and the sweetest thing imaginable does not compare to God revealing himself to us in his word. And so we respond to him. He marvels at God. He marvels at God in a way that I, I would have to admit is too often foreign to me. Because I often don't value the scripture with this type of worth. More to be desired than wealth. Sweeter, more sweetly satisfying than anything in the world. He has encountered God's word in a way that says nothing is sweeter to me. Nothing is more valuable to me. And he's responding that we want to have a value of God's word in our gatherings that, that approaches this, that's informed by this, that's defined by this, that to come and be exposed to the scripture is a chief value to us. It's sweet to our taste. It opens our eyes. It restores our soul. It brings real joy to us. We want to value and treasure God's word. And by the way, I'm not just talking about what I'm doing here. I'm almost done, but I'm not talking about just this. I think oftentimes it's easy to think, well, the scripture, he must be talking about the preaching here. Actually, I began to walk through and think about how many different ways do we encounter the scripture in the gathering. Now, not every week in all of these ways, but over the course of months, we would encounter God's word in every one of these ways. For instance, reading the scripture. 
That happened this morning. The reading, or this afternoon, the reading of the scripture. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Why did he say be devoted to the public reading of scripture? Because they didn't have Bibles? Well, they didn't. But I don't think that that just, well, once everybody got one on their lap, then we can disregard that command. We're not cessationists when it comes to public Bible reading. Now that everyone's got one, that's covered. We don't need that anymore. No, we, we want to have the word of God read in our services. How about the opening call to worship? We do this sometimes. where at the very beginning of the worship service. A, a verse or verses will be read from the Psalms, which are from God to us, calling us to worship. The call to worship is a place to hear God's voice perfectly. And respond. What is God saying? He's saying, come into my presence. I'm coming. That's the, the two beat, the revelation, the response. Or we hear the scripture read between a song. Sometimes the scripture is read to introduce a song. It, it, um, it, 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 uh, it, it describes the theme that the song carries. So a scripture is read. One of the worship leaders will read a scripture and then we'll sing a song. The temptation can be, okay, yeah, there's something up on the screen. Oh, I like this song. Let's get to the song. It it is the scripture that is the truth that the song is based upon, and it is the scripture where the power is. So that's one way we encounter. Another one would be an exhortation from the worship leader, where the worship leader is exhorting us, calling us to response. We're in the middle of it, and, and he is reading a scripture to us that tells us to open our heart to the Lord, to sing joyfully, whatever the verses may be. So it's an exhortation. Respond to our God that comes from a reading of the scripture. Or someone walks down to the mic in the front, talks to a pastor, feels like a particular scripture was laid on his or her heart, shares it, and there's a spontaneous reading that that no one had planned that is read to the congregation in the middle of the worship service. That's a way we hear the scripture or a responsive reading to scripture. We do this. Now, we, none of our pastors come from, have experience in liturgical churches where there's a lot of responsive readings. So we've all tried this. We are learning. We read too fast and too slow, and it is not as smooth as, as guys with collars. They do it better than us, okay? But responsive reading is powerful. If we can get it down, it's powerful, and some of you too, some of you folks are real low church as well. You're not real high church. You didn't grow up doing, you're not low. I didn't mean that way. Low church means informal. It doesn't mean you're low. You're informal. So we're trying to learn how to do that because it is powerful. When the, and it'll, when the, the plat, someone from the platform, a worship leader or a pastor or someone else reads scripture and the church responds, it's a back and forth, back and forth declaration of truth from God's word. That's one way. Always at baptisms, we read scripture. Always at communion, we read scripture. Always at baby dedications, we read scripture. I think most of the time when we welcome new members, I can't say always, most of the time we read scripture when we welcome new members. Sometimes when we receive our offering, we read scripture. We hear the word of God about giving or God's provision for us, something like that. Uh, Obviously, in the sermon, we read scripture. Uh, Sometimes at the end, when we pray for people, there'll be a scripture read and we'll pray for them sometimes in kind of a ministry way. So when I think about it, in any given service, we don't do all of that. 
But over a period and over a season, the Word of God is saturating our gatherings. I just want to be sure that I'm clued in that that's my cue. When the Bible comes, that's my cue to listen, to lean, to receive, and then to respond. Not to check out until we get to the song I like. Not to check out until the next thing happens. Not to check out saying, oh, is this some kind of perfunctory and we've got to read the Bible? No, this is God speaking perfectly. And if I don't get that and I don't respond to that, then I've missed the whole purpose of the worship gathering. It is revelation and response. God reveals himself and we respond. We're not just singing because we like that tune. We're singing because we love that truth. That's why we're singing. That's why we're celebrating. We're not just baptizing. Well, that's kind of our tradition. No, we're hearing the word of God. What does the word say? Oh, that's what it says. Now we're going to do that. We're not just receiving communion as a dry ritual. We're hearing the scripture where Jesus says, this is my body broken and my blood shed. And we're receiving by faith, not because, there's a, not because of the way the guy introduces it in some compelling way, but because of the way the scripture informs us. So we receive with joy. With faith, with wonder, in awe, in reverence, in the fear of the Lord. All of that happens not because the guy's voice is loud like mine is right now or because the song is really cool or because we really like that person being baptized or because we just heard you're supposed to do a responsive reading. No, it's because it's truth. It's where we encounter God perfectly. So we need to have a high value and a foundational Uh, A foundation laid that the scripture is vital. It governs how we worship, what we do and what we don't do. It governs what we sing and what we don't sing. It governs how we preach. It governs what we do on the platform here. It governs all that we do, and it also fills all that we do. So the people of God are hungry, listening. We're simple. We're simple, and we need the wisdom of God. So come and speak to us through your word, that we may receive and respond. Let me pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.